You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Well, it is my joy to also extend my welcome to you. For those that don't know me, my name is Luke. I'm one of the staff team here. And uh, I have the joy of opening God's word for us today. And uh, we're in our summer series in the life of David uh, called Heart After God. Who's a little bit familiar with the life of David? Wave at me. That's you. Yeah. A significant amount of scripture is a portion to tell of his life, tell of his ups and his downs, his highs and his lows, the, the many amazing moments and also many of the low moments. And, and this series is designed, the hope is that we can learn some lessons from his life as we dig deeper into Scripture. It was said of David, Acts 13, verse 22, we read it in the New Testament, that God said this of David. He said, I have found David, a son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And last week, Tracy kicked us off in our series exploring and understanding a little bit more of what it looked like for David to have a heart after God and how that can be reflected in our own lives. And if you've missed that, one of the joys of technology now, we can catch up on a message. So if you want to track all the way through this series, then you can uh, make sure you do catch up on that message uh, through our YouTube or through SoundCloud on the podcast. But this week, I'm going to be unpacking a very famous story And it's the amazing story of David and Goliath. And my title for this week is simply, Facing Your Giants. For this, we're going to turn to 1 Samuel 17. But today we have our kids in our service. Make some noise if you're a kid. Some of our adults pretending. That was for receptions to year sixes. So we're going to tell this story with a bit of life to it, like we might do in kids. So I have a special bag here full of uh, props. It's not full of my shopping. And uh, I just gave them a little uh, nod just before the service. I'm going to invite Darius and Jonathan, who's been helping lead our service, and our wonderful men of God, but are going to be part of the story in this moment. Why don't they come to the stage? Let's welcome them as they come. So in 1 Samuel 17, we read of this incredible encounter between two armies, the Israelites and the Philistines, the people of God and the enemies of God. And what happens is that there's a champion called Goliath who is there taunting the people of God. And uh, we, I'm not going to spoil the story. We've got, we've got kind of a blockbuster moment going on right here. So uh, just because I love you both and I don't want either of you to fall out with me, Uh, We're going to decide by a coin who's going to be David and who's going to be Goliath in this story. So Jonathan, as one of our elders, (laughs) fantastic, I'm not doing it based on height, there's no comments around that. Uh, I'm going to flip a coin for you, Jonathan. If it's heads, you'll be David. If it's tails, you'll be Goliath, okay? Fantastic. Jonathan is Goliath. Wonderful. That was all the coin. I'm not saying that was the Lord. Fantastic. So, um, media team, we're going to have to work with me. So, we get into 1 Samuel 17. It says this in verse 3. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another. So, we're going to make use of the stage. So, Darius, I would, would mind if you would just go down off the stage here. And, John, if you would come maybe to this end of the stage. We're going to use the full stage. Fantastic. 
We can see that on the screen. And uh, it says this of Goliath. A champion named Goliath who was from Gath. Where are you from? Gath. Love that. <laughs> really embodying the role. His height was six cubits and a span. So if you don't know, John is exactly six cubits and a span. It's about nine foot. He had a bronze helmet. Wow. If you put, yes, please put it on, John. Look at that. Yeah, exactly. My dad's a builder. He sorted that out for me yesterday. He sprayed it kind of bronze, but it's actually a rose gold. <laughs> and wore a coat of scale armor. Wow. You've got your armor on. Look at that. Looks like you're about to do a site inspection. A scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. So it's heavy. Nice. John, you're made for this. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves. Now, I haven't got bronze greaves. I was going to bring my shin pads, but I didn't. Thought they'd be gross. And a bronze javelin was slung on his back. Now, you can just hold this, John. So, ladies and gentlemen, we have our Goliath. Our champion. Now, we've got some props in there for you, Darius, but not yet. Okay, we're going to keep going. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield barrier went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. Okay, this is your line, John. Why did you come out? Why did you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. Next slide. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and servants. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Can we give them encouragement as we keep going? John, that was beautifully delivered. Some of you have been deciding whether to watch Barbie or Oppenheimer. Little did you know, for free today, you would have this Hollywood-level production. So though we make light of it, Goliath, he was a champion of the Philistines. He would have stood nine feet tall, incredibly strong. He was trained and highly experienced and would have killed many, many men. And he does and stands in front of the armies of the living God and he gives these taunts for 40 days and they are terrified. These are men that have been at war and the people of God who should be advancing, who should be taking ground for the kingdom, they are frightened, they are in fear. We're then introduced to David who is told by his dad, Jesse, now you feel free to, if you want to act this out, Darius, don't know what you're going to do, <laughs> who's told by his dad, Jesse, to go and take some grain, some bread, and some cheese to his three older brothers who were fighting at war. Lovely, love that. And also bring some encouragement to check that they were okay. <laughs> Fantastic. David, at this point in his life, he was still most likely a teenager. He'd been anointed by God some years earlier, but he was serving in Saul's court, and he was also still serving as a shepherd boy, just doing a very simple job. And the Bible helps us understand that to be part of the Israelite army, you'd have to have been a man of 20 years of age. So we understand in this story, David was definitely still a teenager. So he was just 
a young man. So David heads off to do that which his dad has asked. And when he arrives, Goliath is shouting his usual taunts. Just make them up, John. <laughs> I like it. Who are you with your bread and cheese? You are your Dairy Lee Dunkers. And David, he's, he's looking at these, these, this army, these people of God. He's looking at King Saul and thinking, why is everyone so intimidated? He can't understand why they're allowing this man, Goliath, to blaspheme the living God. And he takes some flack from his brother when he asks this, but he doesn't react in fear like all the others, but instead in disbelief that Goliath is defying the people of God. So this gets the attention of King Saul, who calls him in, and David is with the king, and he says this. Oh, I need to bring this to you, Darius. Let no one lose heart on account of his Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. We're going to try that again. One more time with a bit more gusto, please. Thank you, Darius. <clears throat> Let no one lose heart <laughs> on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go, again, go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. So he's trying to go and do good, and then his king is saying, you can't do this. You're just a boy. And it's one of the many moments in this story where he's looked down upon and spoken down to. But David quickly recalls times where he's seen God's faithfulness and protection as he served God as a shepherd. And this is his final line. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Come on, David. Let's give David a round of applause. Amazing. So we have David saying, God's been faithful before and he'll be faithful again. Amen. He's seen the faithfulness of God and so he can stand in assurance that God is with him. Now Saul just agrees to it because he's like, this has been going on for 40 days. I, I don't know who else to send or what else to do. So he tries to put his armor on David, tries to give him all the best armor and his, and his sword. And David's like, this doesn't work for me. It doesn't fit me. I'm not used to them. And so he says, I'll just take what... I'm used to. So it says this in verse 40. Then he took his staff in his hand. I haven't got a staff, Darius, but you can pretend I love that. Chose five smooth stones from the stream, which is the bag. Five smooth stones, which may look like ping pong balls, but that is for safety reasons. Put them in the pouch of his shepherd bag and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Now, just to give you guys, you know, a, a clear picture. This isn't historically accurate right now. Um, David would have had a sling like this. And this would have been a deadly weapon. They estimate that stones would have flew at around 60 miles an hour. Wow. Crazy. So you could do some damage with this. They, you, you've got your sling in there too. This is the equivalent that I got from Amazon, wonderful. <laughs> and apart from the sling, everything else is of course accurate in this picture right here. So, Goliath then said to David, verse 43. Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. We're not gonna do that on stage, wonderful. <laughs> He says some other very uh, not nice things to David. 
And because it's a family service, we're going to avoid those. And then David says these powerful words, okay? Gusto, Darius. You come at me... Oh, gosh. <laughs> you come against me with the sword and the spear and the javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. All those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Come on! Turn to someone next to you and say, the battle is the Lord's. That's not a point for today, but some of us need to hear that. The battle is the Lord's. When the Philistines... No, I'm skipping ahead here. Here we go. Getting too carried away. Okay, then we get into the action. Are we ready? So we're going to use some special effects for this. So, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him... That's you, John. Nice. David ran quickly to the battle line. Love that. Yeah, why didn't you come on stage? Can you do a backflip or anything like that? Love that. <laughs> Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. Right, we'll give this one go. John, if it gets you in the eye, please don't sue me. <laughs> Let me give him one more. Okay, CGI effects. We ping it back. Whoa! Boom. And David had defeated Goliath! <laughs> Look at this! Wow! Amazing! <laughs> Ladies, gents, boys and girls, can we give a massive round of applause to our David and Goliath? <laughs> Thank you so much. We'll let you guys swap around for service too. <laughs> that was fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. So David defeated Goliath. And where the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, their champion, the one who was mighty in their ranks, they turned and they ran. The Israelites were victorious. I hope you've had fun with that story. You all enjoy that. And here we had a bit of fun, but really this story is an incredible example of a young man trusting in God in a deep and powerful way. You see, the New Testament makes clear to us as a new covenant people that our fight isn't against flesh and blood. I'm not talking today about facing people off in war and especially not encouraging violence. When I'm talking about facing your giants, the truth is that we're all going to face things in our life that seek to intimidate us and that seek to stop us moving forward the plans and the purposes of God. Has anyone else experienced that? Maybe just me, no problem. Things that bring fear and stop us taking steps of faith. Things that feel too big to face on our own. Things that mean that we feel like we can't move forward in life. Things that stand in the way of Jesus, the rule and reign of him coming in our lives. So many things that this might be, and I'm going to let us think, what could that mean for my story? You see, like a Goliath, intimidation and fear and doubt and worry can leave us gripped in inaction. We can stand like the Israel army that instead of moving forward in our lives, we stand fearful and doubtful. And yet David is an example for us because his own battle with Goliath teaches us that no matter what difficulties confront us in life, the battle is the Lord's and the victory belongs to him. 
The battle is the Lord's. He will save his people. And with this assurance, we are equipped to confidently trust the Lord. To confidently act on that trust. And to take action for the kingdom of God. I want to explore some other things that we can learn from the life of David as we ourselves seek to bring the kingdom of God. Does that sound okay? Fantastic. Oh, we got quieter now. David and Goliath are gone. Is that okay? Brilliant. So facing your giants from 1 Samuel 17. Firstly, what we need to understand was that David was passionate for God. All those gathered here will know that it's not by the sword or the spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. You see, notice David's language here. The Lord saves. The battle is the Lord's. He will give you into our hands. It's completely God-centric. He saves. This is God's fight. He will do it. He will be glorified. The heart of David is that he was a man totally reliant on God, but a man full of faith at what his God could do. He was a man passionate for God and for his kingdom. Just before these verses that I've just read, he, we ultimately see why he's there. He shouts out to Goliath. I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. The word defied here in the Hebrew, it means you've blasphemed. It means that you've mocked. He's basically saying you're going against God and I cannot stand for that. It's ultimately his passion for God that brings him to the place where he stands before this giant. You see, if you read 1 Samuel 17 in full, which maybe you do when you get home to see how accurate this picture was. You see that King Saul was trying to motivate soldiers to go and face Goliath, and he was trying to motivate them not because they were going to stand in the name of the Lord. He was trying to motivate them with money and prestige. He was saying, look, if you'll do this, you'll have a tax exemption, and you can marry my daughter, and I'll give you wealth. And yet in the face of intimidation, these things weren't enough to motivate these men to stand against this man defying God's armies. And yet you've got David who comes on the scene and he says, I'm willing to give my life, not for money or a tax exemption, not for my own glory, but for the name of my God. And I want to ask us today, it's a challenge to us because we love this story and we want to be people that face giants and do amazing things, but do we want to do amazing things for ourselves, for the sake of money and power and prestige, or do we want to do things because we say, it's enough if God alone gets the glory? I want to see his name lifted up in the earth. How much does a passion for God dictate your actions? Is it enough for us to simply know that God will be glorified? David was resolved that our God is amazing. David was resolved that our God can do incredible things. David was resolved that he can come through supernaturally in natural moments when we take steps of faith. Because he was a man passionate for God, he learned what it was to have a passion for his presence to cultivate intimacy with God in the place where promises weren't just read of or heard or spoken, but he'd known God as his refuge. He'd known God as his protector. He'd known God as his victory. I wonder how the fire of our hearts is doing today. 
You see, David wasn't just serving God, but he was a man passionate about God getting all the glory. I wonder, there can be some of us here today, and maybe we are serving God, but maybe we have to ask a question that Jesus asked the church in Revelation. And he says, you've, you've lost your first love. Where is your love for God? We can be busy serving him and miss actually loving him and adoring him. And it's in that place of passion that courage is cultivated. When we're passionate for God, other things start to fade in significance. You see, David knew the battles with the Lord was the Lord's, and so do we. We stand in a new covenant. And as we read of David here, I can't help but see shadows of the ultimate king to come. The one who stepped out as our champion to defeat giants on our behalf. You see, David is a type, theologians call it, or a shadow of Jesus. Jesus stepped out as our champion in front of God's people while we could, were powerless to do anything. And he defeated death. He defeated our sin. We heard a couple of weeks ago from Gabriel as he shared from Colossians 2. It says this, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Jesus stepped out to the battle line. Jesus, our champion, our victorious king. He did something that we could not, and so we can have a passion for this God who has already won the victory. He's just waiting for a people to follow him into the victory that he has already won, amen? amen. Looking for a people who will step out into the victory he has won against sin, against death, and the enemy. But the difference here was that he gave his life for our triumph. What an amazing God right now who is redeeming lives. A number of people here today saying Jesus is amazing and he's transformed my life. He's rescued me and he's redeemed me. This is our God. So once again, I charge you, man of God, woman of God, boy, girl, let's stir a passion once again for God. We're going to hear more about this in the coming weeks. But church, a life that is passionate is a life that doesn't shy away from the things that intimidate, but moves towards them for the sake of his name. To be a people that move towards giants in our society that would cause others fear, but because we come in the name of the Lord, we will not fear. Because we come in the name of the Lord, we go to scary and dark places to bring the light of Jesus Christ. Because we come in the name of the Lord, we will go wherever he calls us to go. I say this not lightly, but every day I have to get on my knees and say, Lord, I need your help. Because I don't identify more with David. I identify more with the Israelites who were scared and fearful. Anyone else? I know what it is to be afraid and terrified and just, I, I would rather someone else go, oh, amazing, Lord, raise up for David. I would much rather someone else get up and preach. Don't come and take the mic now. Maybe you would too. 
But the reason that I'm here today is because I've been on a journey with God and I'm far more passionate for his name than I am my own reputation or my own glory or my own sense of feeling secure or not being anxious in the mornings when I wake up because I have to preach. I'm getting up here because I've got a passion for his name because he's changed me and transformed me and I believe that same power is at work today. Anyone else? Let a passion stir afresh in your heart. As David faced his giant, we see that he is passionate. Secondly, we see that he was faithfully serving. One of the details that isn't often remembered or celebrated is why David was at the battle in the first place. He was there because he was faithfully doing what his dad had asked him to do. His dad sent him to take lunch and encouragement for his brothers. And before this, the reason he wasn't where all the action was is because he was too young and so he had to be tending the sheep. So David ends up in this incredible kingdom-bringing moment that he's remembered for thousands of years on. We're talking about it right now, but he ended up there as a product of him faithfully serving God in the place that he was. He had been anointed some years before, and he did serve the king, but continued in the field caring for the sheep. And he didn't turn around and say, well, no, I've been anointed. I'm a man of God. I've been touched by God. I'm above this now. He didn't say, I've been anointed and God's spoken these things over my life, so no longer can I serve. What David said was, I am a man of God and so I will serve him right now. His purposes in my generation right now. No job above him, no job below him. If we want to do some great things for God, if we want to see giants fall, then it will mean faithfully serving him right where we are. It means allowing him to strengthen the work of your hands and it's not always going to be pretty or exciting. It might just look like delivering lunch. But how many of us know that there is kingdom opportunity in every ordinary moment? That God is calling his people to every sphere of influence right where we are so you don't have to go chasing after the giants. God, as you serve him faithfully, is 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 shaping you, is crafting you, is crafting your hands and your skills for all that he needs for the place that he is bringing you to. Does anyone believe that? We have a God who sees and his purposes for our life will prevail. This too was Jesus' example. In Mark 10, 45, Jesus says, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. You see, in our faithful serving, Jesus is making us more like him in the place of obscurity where it feels like a a big gap between the promise and the fulfillment of the promise and we're we're here right in the gap. Jesus is working on our hearts because he doesn't just care about where we are or what we're doing. He cares about who we are. He cares about the heart behind the man or the woman of God. You see, in this place of faithfully serving, intimacy with God can grow learning God's ways. One of the things that David relied on was trusting the faithfulness of God that he'd seen in the field. In the midst of your faithful serving right now, allow God to shape stories where you can say, I know God answers prayers. I've seen him do it in the field. I know God's a healer because I've seen him do it. I know God is strong because he's strengthened me in my weakness. I know God's love satisfied because when I was so dissatisfied, he satisfied me in the mornings with his unfailing love. 
Allow his promises to be secured in his presence, even in the mundane right now. Do not become weary in doing good, church. Do not give up in your faithful serving of him right in the sphere of influence that you are. Because at the right time, the word of God tells us, you will reap a harvest. He laid down his preference and his pride, and God brought him to a moment of incredible destiny. Trust him to, the pro- to, pro- trust him to provide for the places that he is leading you. Jesus says in Luke 16, 10, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Even if it feels small, if it feels little, if it feels insignificant, if it feels like delivering sandwiches to your ungrateful brothers, if it feels like tending the sheep, or no one sees but everyone else is doing something else, continue to serve him faithfully with the little that is in your hands. God will bless you. God will honor you and meet you in that place. We see that David had a passion for God, that he was faithfully serving. And finally, we see him stepping out in faith. I'm going to invite the band up as I draw to a close this morning. You see, when it came down to it, David was a man of action. His actions demonstrated his confession of faith and trust in God. When there is opportunity to advance the kingdom in the midst of our faithful service, we have to step out and take it. You see, David, right where he was, in the midst of his potential fear that would have been present, he was facing a giant, he was facing an army, he decided to put his faith into action. You see, if we want to face our giants, if we want to see the kingdom come in powerful ways and lives impacted and changed and transformed, then we have to actually step out in faith. It's not just a mental exercise or something that happens in our hearts. You see, David, he he had so many actions of faith. He made his way to the battle line. He picked the stones from the river. He stood before Goliath. He took all of these steps and he still gave glory to the Lord, but it took for a man or woman of God to take a step of faith, to put his faith into action. And maybe it's going to take faith for you to say, "I, I need to send that invitation. Maybe you know that a giant in your life is unforgiveness and and a way that you take a step of faith is is by reaching out for a moment of reconciliation. Maybe it's to actually follow that prompting to serve God or to take some steps on that dream that you've been holding in your heart that you know God has placed there. You see, David, in facing his giants, he took action. And it would have taken a lot for David he would have had to push through a lot of barriers. Even to step out before Goliath, he had a fight to face. You see, he had to push through so many limitations put on him by others. David had to push through his dad, calling him the least. His brothers insulted him when he arrived. He had King Saul saying, he's just a little boy, what can he do? And the truth is, the words of others can douse just water on our, the flames of our faith. The words of others can ring louder than the voice of God, and yet David did not allow this to stop him. We have to, like Paul says in Galatians, 
I would not be a servant of the Lord if I still lived for the approval of man. For some of us to step out into kingdom purpose, we need to throw off the desire to get others' approval, throw off some of the things that have been spoken over us by our families, and we have to step out in faith into all that God has for us. Because on the other side of our faith, there's life for others. There's hope for others. There's healing for others. If we had more to go into the stories of the people that have been baptized, we would have heard that there's people involved in their story. Key people who've spoken life and faith, who've got over themselves to step out in faith and bring life to others. There is an enemy that will try and silence us. There is an enemy that will try and stop us stepping out. But church, let's not be daunted by the battle. The battle over sin, the battle over intimidation, the fight to bring his kingdom and walk in purpose. Church, we call on the name of the living God. We call on the maker of heaven and earth. We call on his promises, a God who is faithful. And as we come to the end of our service, I don't want our eyes to be fixed on David, who was merely a man. Yes, he showed passion. Yes, he served faithfully. Yes, he stepped out in faith. But we, like him, can do where all of this came from, which was simply by looking to his God, by being in his presence. I want to finish with this, penned by David, Psalm 124, verse 8. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. There are great things in this room. There are kingdom dreams in this room. And it's going to take some of us to step out in faith. It's going to take some of us to stir a fresh passion and a fire in our hearts. It's going to take some of us to keep cracking down and working hard where the Lord has placed us, serving faithfully. Why? Because we trust in the God, the maker of the heavens and the earth who fights for us. I want to invite us to stand as we close in prayer this morning. I wonder if you know the Lord is moving in your heart today. Maybe there's something you need to respond to there. I'm going to invite you to lift your hands. Hallelujah. Many of us around the room. If this is you watching from home as well, I encourage you to respond right where you are. Spirit of God, we come and we bless you and we honor you. And we thank you, Lord, that the victory belongs to you. We thank you, Jesus, that you are a victorious king, that through your death, burial, and resurrection, you were victorious over death and the enemy. And Lord, we stand in that victory today. I speak for faith to arise in our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would minister to each and every one of us. And Lord, as we worship now, I pray, Lord, stir a fresh passion, stir a fresh desire to see your name lifted up above all else. And Lord, come and move in our midst, we pray. So Lord, we honor you and we bless you and we magnify you. In the precious name of Jesus.